about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. Though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, now you will be too small for your people and those who devoured you will be far away. The children born during your bereavement will yet say in your hearing, This place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Then you will say in your heart, Who bore me these? I was bereaved and barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone, but these, where have they come from? This is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you, and your children I will save. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and will be drunk, they will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Saviour, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce, with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins you were sold. Because of your transgressions your mother has sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me in the morning by me, he wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, 
because the Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will be not put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourself with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Good evening, friends. It is lovely to see you. If it's your first time back in church, it is great to see you. And if you're online, great to see you as well. It's great to have a full building. It's great not to have this as a production studio, but as a church again to be embodied again. Isn't it a great blessing? Uh, we are walking through the book of Isaiah and, and just drinking in the riches of God's promises to his people in a difficult space. And we kind of meet the reality and the wrestle of that in our passage today, and I think that's quite helpful having come out of the season we've been in. Now, here's my question for you tonight, and it might be a bit raw for you, I don't know, but what is your feeling about God coming out of the lockdown? You know, what, what, is this, what has been the spiritual impact upon your relationship with him through everything you've walked through just now? Now, I think there's a whole different myriad of things you could be feeling. Some people feel like their faith's basically been on pause for four months just because they haven't seen brothers and sisters and the idea of faith on their own is just not a thing. Some people I've spoken to feel like the world is filling up with darker things day by day and they're wondering what God is doing in the midst of that. Some people have felt pressed on their own. Some people have felt kind of really disconnected from God. What's it been for you? Where are you up to with him tonight? Here's where Israel was up to. It begins our passage today. It's going to come on the screen. I don't have a clicker, so Caleb's going to read my mind as we go. Thank you, Caleb. Here's what it says, but Zion said, the city of the living God said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord's forgotten me. That's what it felt like to be in exile, having been ripped out of your land and put somewhere else. To be utterly forgotten by God and forsaken by him. If we're honest, there are many moments in life where we feel the same. Whether it's been because we've been singled out by some sort of suffering whether the circumstances of the world are so out of control, we're not sure what to ha- how to handle them. We just haven't sensed God with us for so long. We can begin to wonder, are you, are, you, are you in this? Are you with me? Are you just leaving me in, in, in this? Maybe that's not you, but I can tell you someone in your life feels it tonight. So what we get in the rest of this passage is God's answer to Israel's wrestle of feeling forgotten and forsaken by God. 
And I think the answer can speak into whatever you're feeling about your relationship with God as we gather back as God's people this evening in a special way. So four things for when you feel forgotten or forsaken by God this evening from these chapters. And the first one is this. So maybe this is the most important and the best one. Friend, he has not, he will not, and he cannot forget you. Forget us. He has not through lockdown, he will not into the future, and he cannot ever forget us, forget you. That is God's emphatic answer to the feeling of feeling forgotten by him, that, he, that God's people express. But the way that God speaks it is this cascade of wondrous images. First one being a mother and her baby. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? To which we'd say, well, of course not. Of course not. That's like one of the closest bonds that exists. A mother and a child, that the naturalness of the compassion of the connection, it's not always there, friends. Sometimes it's complicated, but it's the closest thing. Well, God says, you know what? Sometimes they do forget, which is hectic, but I don't. I don't forget. My connection and affection and affinity and compassion to you is stronger than that of any mother to their baby. See, that's your God's feeling toward you tonight. He hasn't forgotten you, even if you feel far off from him. God says, you know, I have you engraved on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Like a a love-struck teenager that can't help scribbling the name of their crush on their hand and always looking at it obsessively, that's God with you this evening. With your name tattooed on the palm of his inside of his hand, always to be seen by him. You know, in some parts of the ancient world, slaves had their master's name written on them so that you knew whose property you were, kind of thing. But this is the opposite. We don't wear our master's name, he has ours. He doesn't forget, friends. Or maybe he's like a dad with a daughter who's about to get married. That's the final one. He talks about Zion and and the children coming back to Zion. Your children will hasten back. And those who laid you waste, will they'll depart from you. And you'll you'll lift up your eyes and look around. And all your children will gather and come to you. And as surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. I'm going to deck you out, you city that feels lost and forsaken and forgotten. I'm going to deck you out as if I'm your father and you're my daughter and you're about to get married. This is God's affection and regard and love and connection for his people. He will not, he cannot forget you or any of his people. And this isn't an idle thing for God. He's not just speaking affection to God's people, although he is. There's a real thing that he's saying will happen because he hasn't forgotten them. And this is what comes next. There are some slides. Excellent. And there's this beautiful overturning that God's about to describe. There's two parts to it. See the bits in the text in in yellow here. Though you were ruined and made desolate and your land laid waste, though you were a a worn, torn city pulled apart, 
by a foreign invading force. Though you were bereaved and barren, exiled and rejected. That's what Israel is like now. This is why they feel forgotten and forsaken. But then God describes, here's what's going to happen. Though you were ruined and made desolate, now you will be too small for your people. And those who devoured, they'll be far away. And the children born during your bereavement, they'll say in your your hearing, this place is way too small for us. We need room to play in. We need a backyard, guys. Come on. Give us more space to live in. And, And then you'll look around in your heart and you'll say, where did all these kids come from? I was bereaved. I was barren. I was exiled and rejected. Who brought these up? I was left all alone. Where did all this come from? It's this stunning image of a city that's been torn to shreds, suddenly being a playground, abundant, filled with children. And it's such a children-centric picture because it's supposed to be a picture of the death of exile being overturned by abundance of new life. That God will deck out this city with life, full life again, young life, so much life that the city rolls can't even contain it. God is going to enable life to swallow up the death that has been. Uh, He goes on to describe uh, in verses 23 and 24 how kings and queens, those who came and ransacked the city, they'll become makeshift nannies. They'll carry the kids home on their hips and become wet nurses and bow down to Israel. And God will contend with all of them and bring about a reversal. And so God says in verse 23, Then you will know, then you will know that I am the Lord. And those who hope in me will not be disappointed. See, what God's saying is, You feel forsaken now. You feel forgotten now. The city is filled with death now. But when you see me uh, overturn it into life, you'll know in your bones that I never left. That I never abandoned you. And that those who hope in me are never, ever disappointed. And friends, the same is true of us. We are awaiting a final day when death is overturned by life. With the dead, dark things of the world are overthrown and raised to life, we live again in abundance. Friend, it may not be until that day that you finally realize that you weren't forsaken now. It's often not till the end, God says that you will see and you will know that all your hoping and trusting was not in vain. Because your God has not, will not, and cannot forget you or any one of his people. But what God goes on to then say is a bit more pointed. What he goes on to suggest is that perhaps we are the forgetful ones who struggle to trust. 
what happens in the next bit is God starts asking his own questions back toward his people. It's going to come up. Make it Caleb. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Let's get into the details. Did did I send her off? The answer is no, I didn't divorce her. Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Let's get the, the, the receipt out. Did I sell you to someone, you know, kind of put you into slavery and got rid of you? No. Because of your sins, you were sold. Because of your transgressions, this all happened. You were exiled because of your sin. That's what went down here. It wasn't about me abandoning you. It wasn't about me forsaking you. It was about your sin and my judgment. But here's, here's the kicker. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Did I lack the strength to rescue you? It appears that Israel, in their distress, had forgotten to ask for the Lord's help. In the midst of their forgotten and forsaken state, they questioned whether their God might actually come through at all. I don't know about you, but I, I, I echo this. I, I get this. You know, when I'm in difficult spots, I find it hard to ask help from anyone. And sometimes when we're in difficult spots, we even forget to ask God to come toward him. And so perhaps in the midst of things, it's actually us who become forgetful. And actually, even times when we're, we're not really being forsaken by God, we act as if he is. We act as if he won't come through. He's not strong enough. He's not powerful enough. He's not good enough. We forget him. God says, by a mere rebuke of the... I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water. I clothe the heavens with darkness. You need not doubt me. You need not doubt my power. But we do. That's in the midst of things here, isn't it? For all of us. I struggle to trust that the wild dreams and promises of God could be possible. So what do we do with that? What does God do with that in this passage? Well, that's where I think this passage gets really interesting. Because I think you could go from verse 3 and just cut out verses 4 to 9 and go straight to 10, where God says, trust me. But instead, this other voice comes in. It's in first person. And it's not God, it's not Isaiah, it's not God's people. It's this figure of the servant. Now I'm going to piggyback on Andrew's work from last week because it was so good and I don't have time to repeat it. About how in these, all these servant parts that pop up in this part of Isaiah, they don't fit Israel really and they don't really fit um, uh, any of the, the, the leaders at the time or any of the kings at the time. They really foreshadow the Lord Jesus. And so what we get injected into this wrestle about belief and whether God's with us and we're feeling forgotten and forsaken, this figure of Jesus starts to talk. 
And God's answer to our wrestle of unbelief and our wrestle with whether God is with us is to look and to listen to his servant. He just kind of bursts into the passage in front of us that we should look at him and pay attention to him and what he says. So what do we get from the servant that we need to see here? I just highlighted some of the words about bodies here because it looks cool to me. I don't know. It's actually not a really useful slide. But the sovereign Lord, the servant says, has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. See, what does God send to his people who feel forgotten and forsaken who are doubting? He doesn't send them, you know, spiritual push-ups to kind of, you know, eat some concrete and get on with it. To, to well up some resources within them and, and, and just get on with it and trust him more. What does he send? He sends his servant who has a well-instructed tongue, who knows the exact word to speak to sustain your heart. Isn't that wondrous? That when we doubt, he comes closer. That when we doubt, he comes closer with the Lord Jesus, who is the perfect listener. That's what Jesus is here. The one who perfectly listens to God, who knows exactly his counsel, who wakens every morning to hear more and more and more. He knows exactly what to say to you tonight, friend, that you need. Because he knows your heart and he knows the will of God. And he is the one who actually wants to approach you in the midst of whatever you are feeling with the Lord and God tonight. Sometimes we forget how kind and gracious and good and wise he is. And that we don't have to pull ourselves together to come to him. He is the one who wants to speak to us. We need to listen to him. He the perfect listener. But we get more here, don't we? He's the perfect listener in verse 5. And he says, I've not been rebellious. I've not turned away. He's not like Israel who sinned and were taken into exile, right? He's the opposite of that. And yet, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. What are we getting here? We, We have this servant who perfectly obeys and yet suffers anyway. Shamefully, having your beard pulled out, being mocked and spat, he is in the the position of shame that Israel feel. He's walking into the mess of it. And yet he need not, he's not a sinner. There's nothing wrong with him. And yet he walks into it confident that God is with him and that God will overturn it. See, this is the figure of who Israel could be in this moment. In the midst of the shame, trusting that God will somehow come through. It's almost like by putting this in front of Israel, the servant is trying to give them hope that they, like him, could walk from shame into life, that God might overturn things for them. And this is exactly what we need in the midst of these darker moments, is to look on the servant, to look on Jesus. The one who in the midst of shame and suffering had it all overturned into life, resurrection life. 
the one who has perfectly walked this path before us, and the one who can speak a sustaining word to us in the midst of it. We need more of him. The darker things are, we need a bigger vision of him. The more complex things become. And so Isaiah says after the servant speaks, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Who comes to the servant and says, help me walk this path. The conclusion of the passage emphatically is that in the midst of dark times, when you feel forgotten, when you feel forsaken, you can walk by the light of the servant Or you can walk by your own light. But you can't do both. Then in the midst of darkness, you have to choose some way of coping. That's just true. Have you ever walked in pitch black darkness? I remember in one of my final years of school, me and my friends, really late at night, were walking through abandoned train tunnels in North Sydney. I don't know why. Sounds like something that 17-year-olds do though, right? And it was terrifying because you kind of knew they were abandoned, but you kind of thought a train might come. Anyway, um, but you know, pitch black darkness, no light at all, unless you brought it with you. God says, let the one who walks in the dark, that's what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? Who has no light, Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and the torches you've set ablaze. This is what you receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. The stark moment. Did you see what the Lord asked you to do? to walk in the dark without any light. He doesn't say, trust me and the lights will turn on. He doesn't say, trust me and the forsaken and forgotten forgotten feeling will go away. He says, walk in the dark and trust me. Trust me. If you want to cobble together a light of your own making to find your way through, you will end up lost. Trust me. To which we look and say, well, how is that possible? How is it possible for me to trust you in the midst of the things that are happening in this world in all these different ways? Here's here's where I want to point out something really important from this passage to you. And it's the way it's used in the New Testament in Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans chapter 8, Paul takes some of the servant section and applies it not to Jesus, but to you. Not to Jesus, but to you. You see, in Isaiah 50, the servant says, He who vindicates me is near. Who will bring a charge against me? Sorry, Caleb, go back. That's the one I want. Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They'll all wear out like a garment. The moss will eat them up. Then look in Romans 8. It's the same two questions. 
Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? See that phrase? Who will bring a charge against? Same thing. It's God who justifies. And then, who then is the one who condemns? Same. Who will condemn me? He takes up the same language. In Isaiah 50, there's this servant who's perfectly obedient. And he walks into suffering. And in the midst of suffering, he says, it's okay. I'm not suffering because I sinned. God's going to overturn this. I won't be condemned. There's no charge against me. God is my helper. I'm going to get through this. And he does. Friend, you are not like the servant. You have not perfectly obeyed. I have not perfectly obeyed. There are lots of charges you could bring against me. There's lots of reasons, friend, why I should be condemned. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus... Everything that's said about the servant in Isaiah 50 is true of you. Because you belong to Jesus, there is no charge to be brought against you. Because you belong to Jesus, there is no condemnation against you. Because you belong to Jesus, neither trouble, nor hardship, nor persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, None of it, no darkness can separate you from God, regardless of how good your faith is at any time. Because the servant walked forsaken. He was forgotten. He endured the wrath of God. That you might always have the light of his presence, even in the dark. And so what we are being summoned to this evening is to walk in the dark, knowing that Romans 8 is true, knowing that Jesus has walked the path before us, knowing that just as the servant said that the sovereign Lord helps me, that the sovereign Lord is with me, That even if you feel a bit forgotten, disconnected, discombobulated, paused, whatever you feel tonight, he has not forgotten you. And he is walking with you. Until that day when life swallows up death and you know in your bones, you are never forsaken. Let's pray. Father, we, we come tonight with the strange mess of things inside ourselves. Some of the doubts we're even a bit scared to say out loud. Some of the feelings we're carrying about ourselves and our relationship with you. Father, we pray that you would remind our hearts today that in whatever we walk, with whatever we walk, you are with us. And you will help us. And you will not abandon us. Until that day, that final day, when we see how it all worked and how you are always with us. So Father, encourage each heart tonight with that skillful tongue. Sustain us with the knowledge of your presence. Amen.
for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.